if we wanted to summarize the most if we want to summarize the, the fundamental presupposition of, of the natural man in the most succinct way possible, there are many places we could go in Scripture, but the opening of Psalm 14, I think, gives us a, a, a pretty good picture. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Or more succinctly, the fool says in his heart, no God. Not that he doesn't actually believe that there's a God. Not that he doesn't know that there is a God. But he says it in his heart. He determines himself in that direction. No God. And that is his most fundamental presupposition. In all of his ways, the, the natural man, the fool, the man without God, in all of his ways, not only is God absent from his thinking in... in not in... in in, in an absolute sense, but in his own thinking, not only is God merely absent, but God is denied. God is ignored. No God. He knows there's a God. He sees it. What can be known about God is clear to him. But he says, no God. He pushes it away. That's, that's his natural predisposition. And so it's no surprise, or it should come as no surprise to us, that when we watch the natural man, the man apart from Christ... When we watch him setting up his plans and his goals and establishing the means by which he will pursue his plans and his goals in his life, when he goes about what the old writers would call his conversation, way of life, we should not be surprised when we find out there's no God in it. God is absent. God is altogether far from what he does. And though these men do toil with great ambition, many, many natural, carnal, unbelieving men have far more drive to be busy and dutiful than, than a lot of Christians do. They're, they're ambitious. They're pursuing something, and yet they're never satisfied. It never makes them happy. There's never, never any blessedness for them. Because they ignore and reject God. They pour out themselves for their own silly pursuits, which will never find an end. It will not satisfy them. They cannot find happiness there, but they give themselves to it. And so, as they go along the way, you'll very often see them boasting. And you might think, wow, maybe there is something to that way of living. I mean, look at them. They seem so proud of what they've, of, uh, what they've achieved. But really, their boasting is just sort of like a, a, a boasting at these little checkpoints along the, their way of life that never finds any satisfaction. They, they, they find these little short-term attainments. I finally got the degree. I finally got the career. I finally got the... The six figures, I finally got whatever it is. I got this. And they'll boast, well, are you happy? Are you satisfied? Do you stop now? Well, no, there's, there's now this next thing that I have to pursue. It's just ongoing. They, they do boast, but, but it's always in these short-term things. In, in 1 Corinthians 1, we've seen these words, wisdom, power, nobility, that Paul borrowed from Jeremiah chapter 9. Their wisdom, might, and riches, these are what, the, what carnal men boast in. 
They've, they've altogether excluded God. So what do they have to boast in? Well, they're, they're little attainments. Well, you got a little power, you got a little money, you got a little influence. That's what they boast in. They think that that is reason to puff themselves up. That's all they have. They're never satisfied. They're never fulfilled, but they will always be boasting in something. That's the natural disposition of, of a fallen man, a man apart from Christ. Well, in opposition to that, the supernatural disposition of a Christian is very different. A Christian is very different. In all our ways, God is actually preeminent. Rather than stiff-arming God and saying, no God, stay out there, the Christian reaches out to grab and to pull God closer and closer, nearer and nearer. We want more of God in all of our plans and all of our ways. The Christian says, God establishes my purpose, the, the reason for my existence. God directs my plans and God establishes my goal. And God even gives me the means by which I am to go about those goals. In His Word, He's clearly laid out these things. This is true for every Christian. And it's true for every group of Christians in a church. Every church exists for the exact same reason. We don't need a purpose statement that differentiates us from the church down the street. Every church has the same purpose because God has established the purpose of the church and, and every church ought to be going about that in the same way according to Scripture. The means by which we go about these things have been laid out for us in Scripture. It's true for every Christian. It's true for every group of Christians. We start, our, our one fundamental presupposition is there is a God who's revealed Himself, who's spoken, who directs and orders all things. Now, what happens when that old, carnal, natural disposition begins to seep under the, the, the doorways and into the church? What happens? Well, we get what we, what we really have all over the place in our, in, in our world. Is, is, it's like a Frankenstein creature of Christianized worldly wisdom. What do I mean by that? Well, Christians might not, some of them do, but a lot of Christians might not boast in wisdom and power and wealth. But we still boast in things. But because we're Christians, we put a Christian label on, on our boast, and so we boast in things like the number of books that we've read or the, the number of conferences that we've attended or the number of hours that we've spent in prayer or the number of evangelistic connections that we've had, or, or very often Christians will even boast in how awful they are, the number of sins they, they have committed, just another manifestation of their own pride. Or as it was in the church in Corinth, we'll boast in preachers, in our favorite preachers, or, or a, a particular line or stream of, of, of a style of men. I, I follow the I follow the Puritans, but, but then that comes down into our own day and you, you, you have sort of a division of that heritage into what might be the more intellectual type of teachers. Well, I, I, I sort of follow this school and then you might have over here the more, uh, the more passionate and zealous type of preachers that might not be quite, they might not dot all their I's and cross their T's the same, but they've got this, this great zeal. Well, I, I come from, I follow this, this line, this is kind of the, the Christianity that I want to find myself in and we... we boast in these things, but it's really the same idea. The question still in our hearts is how can I vaunt myself above my fellow Christian or at least 
How can I differentiate myself? Christians are supposed to be united to one Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Christ. All of these things joining us together. But it seems like as soon as we get into the club, we, start, we, we flip to the table of contents and we start looking for, okay, how can I differentiate myself from this guy? Because at this point, I really look a lot like him. And I, don't really, I can't have that. I, what's going to make me, me? We look for these things to differentiate ourselves. We do it in a Christian way, however. We, so we, we boast in Christian things. In Corinth, they were boasting in preachers. It was Christianized worldly wisdom. The same idea, but with a Christian spin on it. And in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul has been addressing that problem because it had led to greater problems, divisions in the church. And he did so, or has done so, by reminding them of God's wisdom. He reminds them that God's wisdom refutes and contradicts and confounds all human wisdom. When we get a little glimpse of God, all of that that I just described looks very, very, very silly. It looks very childish. And that's what he's trying to do. He's just saying, look at God. Look at what God has done. Turn your eyes to Him, not to yourselves. God's wisdom, I've been, I've been using this definition. It's not mine. It was from a commentary. But he, he articula, articulated it this way. God's wisdom is God's way of bringing about the long-expected purposes of God. God's wisdom. God's way of bringing about the long-expected purposes of God. And what we have seen as we've walked through this chapter is that all of that, God's way of bringing about the long-expected purposes of God, all of that can be summed up in the mighty working of one person, Jesus Christ. God's way of bringing about the long-expected purposes of God. It's found exclusively in Christ. Now, based on what we, we've spent some time in verse 30, based on what we've seen, we could now ask, what was God's wisdom? What was God's way? of bringing about the long-expected purposes of God in Christ. Well, ultimately, or, or maybe most essentially, we would say it was His way was by uniting us to His Son, by His Spirit. And by joining us to His Son, we become beneficiaries of everything that Christ has done. Everything. It's ours. This is God's way. We have nothing in ourselves. We need everything. God has a Christ who is literally all sufficiency. He says, I'll just join you to Him. There. You have it all. That's the, the essence of it. But then it's, it, He's unpacked it. Because of the perfect life and obedience unto death of this one Jesus Christ, we can now be counted as righteous. His righteousness is imputed to us. God says, I demand righteousness. We say, we have none. God says, I know that, so I'll join you to the one who does. And Christ becomes our righteousness. What we needed, God had, and He provided in Christ. Because of the fullness of grace that is in Christ and our union with Him, we become recipients of grace upon grace. We need grace. Well, we can't conjure that up of ourselves. God says, I know, so I'll join you to my Son. He's full of grace and truth. From His fullness, you just take grace upon grace. It'll come out of Him. 
And so therefore Christ becomes our sanctification. The virtue, the power of Christ's death and resurrection becomes ours through union and we are able to mortify our sin, to put on purity and righteousness and holiness and walk in a way that pleases God. What we needed, God had and provided in Christ. Because of our union with Christ, His return in glory will consummate His work and will actually result in the consummation of His work in us, which we saw last week, redemption, the redemption of our bodies. Not only our spirits, but our bodies are going to made, be made perfect. Our, our physical bodies will be the recipients of Christ's infinite power. And so Christ becomes our redemption. What we need, God has, and He provides in Christ. God has given us a person who is our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. So, so what were the long-expected purposes of God for us? We're going back into eternity, into the mind of God. What, what did God have before Him? What, what was His purpose? What was His plan? What was His wisdom? To bring us to Himself, freed from all of the effects of sin in body and in soul, so that we could dwell in His presence forever. God's wisdom, God's plan, God's purpose. What was His way? Christ. How, if we ask the question, if we put ourselves in, in sort of the, 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 the thinking seat of God, again, this is, this is anthropomorphism. We're, we're, we're talking about God in human ways, but we're, we're, we're putting ourselves in the thinking seat of God, and God proposes, how can I take this mass of sinners rid them of every effect of sin in their physical bodies and in their souls so that they can dwell in my physical presence for all of eternity. What do I do? Again, this, this is us trying to imagine God thinks like us. He doesn't. But God says, my son. I'll join them to my son. Christ then becomes all of this and works all of this in us, which is glorious. But to go even back further and to say this was God's plan. This is what God wanted to do. This is where He started. His starting point was rid them of every effect of sin in body and soul so that they can be with me forever. And He gave us His Son to do this. That's why Paul could say Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that truth lays at the bottom of anything and everything that can properly be called Christian. That's Christianity at its most basic level and yet at its most incomprehensible level. The Christian not only does not commit the error of Psalm 14, no God, that's the fool. Christians don't think that way. But we don't just say, well, I believe in God. No, we go even further. We say, no, actually there is a God and that God created the world and everything in it and has governed every single movement of every atom and every creature from the beginning of time all the way down through history in order to glorify His Son through the salvation of sinners, making His Son the Savior of sinners. And that this Son, Jesus Christ, saves sinners by taking them into spiritual union with Himself so that His life, death, 
resurrection, ascension, present intercession, and future return are all in some way communicated to the one who has faith in Him so that they are justified, sanctified, and redeemed or glorified someday and ransomed from this present evil age. This is God's wisdom. This is God's way. This is what He's been doing. Christ said, My Father has been working until now and I'm working. What's he been doing? This. Saving sinners. Arranging the affairs of nations and kingdoms to save sinners. To glorify his son in this way. Now what's the result of that? Look at the passage again. Verse 31. And here we'll pick up the exposition. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now that phrase, so that, is one word. It could be translated therefore or to the end that or, or resulting in. This lets us know that what follows has its purpose in what preceded. Or what preceded now leads to this. All that he said now leads to this. Here's what comes next, to this end. So if we put them together, because of Him you were in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption to this end. Here's the result. And then he says, as it is written. Which is the typical formula throughout Scripture for, for a biblical author quoting previous revelation. In other words, he's going to say, to, to this end, like, like the Bible says, like the Scriptures say, like God has said previous, He's going to quote the Scriptures. So all that Paul has said about our salvation so far leads to something that had already been set forth in Scripture. This is not new information. This is not a, a, a startling revelation that, that we would say, what in the... Boast in the Lord? <laughs> That's, I never heard of anything like that before. No, this is, this is known amongst the people of God. It should be common sense to us, common knowledge. It's already been stated, as it is written. And what was written? Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul quotes almost verbatim from the Greek translation of Jeremiah 9, 24. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And we've already covered a little bit of the background and all of that about that passage. I won't go into that. But I do want to focus on that word, boast. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts... Boast in the Lord. The word boast here means to show off verbally. To boast is to express excessive pride. It is to call attention to the good qualities of something. That is to boast. To boast is to make a display of the worth or the actions of a person, a place, or a thing. It is to laud the merits of a person, place, or thing. To boast is to commend something or someone. To boast is to express delight in or appreciation for some noteworthy quality in a person, place, or thing. That is what it means to boast. So all of this that he said results in this, something that was already stated in the Scriptures long before, 
that the one who boasts is to boast in the Lord. And that phrase, let the one, is an imperative, which means it is a commandment of God. A commandment. God's salvation of men in Christ makes it imperative that those who have received that salvation should boast in the Lord. Imperative. Now, that simple, I hope, exposition leads to this. A couple things that we could draw from this. I'm going to give you two and we'll focus just on one for the rest of our time. But the first thing that we learn here is that the salvation of God is so deeply transformative that it results in a transformation of our boasts, our boasting. And this is no small thing. The salvation of God that's set forth in Scripture is not so ethereal or ideological that it remains in the realm of theory. There's some people who could say, you know, uh, I, I, I could see the positive benefits of a certain political theory, but I'm not going to go out and take up arms and, and march down the street. I, I, I see where they're going, but it, it's not going to change the way I, I live. Salvation's not that way. It's not... You, you can't separate it in terms of just a theory and an idea from the heart and soul of the matter. The salvation of God is not so abstract that one can disassociate the passions of their heart from its truths perceived in the mind. You can't separate them. Biblical salvation is so transformative that the things in which we find value and pleasure, the things that we delight in and appreciate, change. And that finds its root in, in, in the depths of our soul, our hearts, not just mental. It produces changed tastes, which leads to changed boasts. In other words, to put it shortly, a Christian man boasts differently than a lost man. A Christian man boasts differently than a lost man. A Christian woman boasts differently than a lost woman. Christian children boast differently than lost children. See? It changes us all the way down to our boasting, our, our, our appreciations, our, our, our pleasures. The salvation of God in Christ is so real and so manifest in the soul that it comes out in verbal boasting. As our Lord said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, so the salvation that we've been talking about is a change of the heart. If the heart's changed, the mouth is going to speak differently. If the mouth's not speaking differently, there's no change of heart. Verbal boasting is the fruit of a transformation of the deepest part of a human being. So that's, that's the first thing we see. This salvation, if you've experienced it, it changes what you boast in. It goes down to the depths of your heart, to the things that you value and appreciate. But then secondly, and this is where I want to spend our time, we also learn from this verse that a Christian, and maybe this is more basic than, than the first point, maybe it undergirds it, but a Christian should boast in the Lord. That's simple, right? A Christian should boast in the Lord. A Christian ought to boast in the Lord. A Christian has the obligation, the duty to boast in the Lord. 
All that God has done to save sinners by Jesus Christ produces boasting in Him by all who have eyes to see it. And so the Christian should be one whose life is characterized by this, boasting in the Lord. Or more succinct and maybe more forceful, we are commanded to boast in the Lord. If you're a Christian, you are commanded to boast in the Lord. It's almost hard to even say that with a, with a, stern, a stern brow because it's so joyful. Is there a happier command that's ever been given? You've been commanded to boast and your heart's been changed, so this boasting is natural. It, it just flows out of you. But that's what it says. You've been commanded. We are commanded to express excessive pride in the Lord. We're commanded to call attention to the good qualities of the Lord. We are commanded to make a display of the worth and the actions of the Lord, to laud the merits of God, to commend the Lord. We are commanded, we are under obligation, under duty, to express delight in and appreciation for all of the noteworthy qualities of the Lord. We're commanded to do that. So we, we go back to the way we began several weeks ago. What is a Christian? Well, a Christian is one who is in union with Christ. Well, what is an evidence of that union? Boasting in the Lord. It produces this boasting. And so that's what I want to open up. I want to, the rest of it is, is application. The rest of our time is just application. I want to open up, open up this idea of boasting in the Lord. Just as imperative as commandments like you shall not bear false witness. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. Husbands, love your wives. Children, honor your father and mother. Just as imperative as all of those commandments, we have this. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you're not a boaster in the Lord, I hope that today will be the day where you face the fact that the absence of such boasting is evidence or a manifestation of, at the very least, remaining sin that needs to be dealt with. This is a commandment. What, what, what is it called when we have a command and we don't do it? That's disobedience. That's sin against God. This is serious. So maybe you'll hear this and you'll say, you know what, I'm not a boaster. And that's sinful. Something in me needs to change. At the very least, I've got to get rid of whatever it is that's keeping me from boasting. But if you are in the habit of boasting, or you are prepared, maybe all that it took was the exposition. You say, that settles it. I'm, I'm in. Tell me what to do and I'll boast. If that's you, then hopefully this will uh, just sort of give a little bit of, of structure around what that might look like in our lives. So we have three headings. They're all in application. The first of which is I want to give you some formative prerequisites for boasting in the Lord. Some formative prerequisites for boasting in the Lord. Before we can truly boast in the Lord in the way that the Scripture commands us, there are some basic prerequisites that must be met. There are some things that just have to happen. And the first of those is obviously the experience of salvation by God. In other words, you must be saved. You must know the Lord in the intimacy of a heart-transforming work of saving grace, before you will have eyes to see, really see, the boastworthiness 
that is found in Him. And I believe that's what Paul is saying here in our passage. All of this great work in salvation that the Corinthians claim to have experienced, what that leads to is a boasting in the Lord because of that experience. If they were to go on boasting about earthly things and temporal things, well, that would have been like, that would have been just to go about life like the rest of the world, which would not have been surprising outside of the church. We've already seen that. For the carnal man, the fool says in his heart, no God. You go outside of the church in Corinth, they're boasting in all these things. That's not surprising to us. That shouldn't startle us. The surprising thing was this had come into the church. This makes no sense in the church. Why is that? Because these are Christian people. Christian people. So maybe you say, I'm not really a boaster in the Lord. Well, the first question that I would ask is, are you you a Christian? If you're not a boaster, are you a Christian at all? It's got to be asked. It's got to be considered. Have you been created anew in Christ Jesus? Has there been a transformation in your heart by the Holy Spirit where you have come to repudiate the old sinful ways of your former life? And you've come to love the godly ways that are set forth in the Scriptures by the Holy Spirit. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ because He's lovable? Do you, are you eager to please Him because it pleases Him? And I want to please my Lord. Is that, is that the way you think? Have you, have you truly been born again? Now, if you say no, then perhaps today would be the day of salvation. You say, I, I don't think I'm a Christian. Okay. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, bore the punishment due to sin so that anybody who comes to Him in faith needs not worry about that punishment anymore. It's already been taken. And you can be reconciled to God by trusting in His saving work. And He was raised from the dead three days later to vindicate, to show the world, to show all creation the work is finished. I wonder if if you would be willing right now, if you say, I'm not a Christian, right now, before we go any further, in, in your heart, Call upon the name of the Lord. Confess your sins. Roll yourself upon Him. Listen, He's not a slow Savior. He makes quick work of it. He'll do it in an instant. And you can, you can go out you go through the rest of the sermon as a Christian. You'll, you'll hear it with new ears. You'll, hear the, you'll see the Scriptures with new eyes. You can do that now. You don't have to wait to the end of a sermon to be saved. But if you say, well, I don't boast because I'm not a Christian. Well, then become a Christian. Throw yourself upon Him. He will save He will make quick work of it, and we can go on. I can't imagine that the rest of this is going to be any fun to somebody who's not a Christian. But if you say, I am a Christian, I've truly been born again, well, then you're ready to boast in the Lord. You've got something to boast in. So that's the first formative prerequisite, an experience of salvation. The second thing, in addition to an experience of salvation by God, we should always be aiming after an ever-expanding knowledge of who God is. This is a prerequisite, an ever-expanding knowledge, not a completed, culminated, exhaustive knowledge, 
just an ever-expanding knowledge. Now, why would I say that? Boasting in the Lord is an exceedingly broad habit. Why? Because God is exceedingly broad. He's infinite. Boasting in the Lord is big because God is big. The object of our boasting is big. We're not going to run out of things to boast about. This, is, this work will carry us to our, our grave. And as we grow in our knowledge of God, our ability to boast more thoroughly will increase. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. So notice what it just said there. God is great and His praise is to be great. Greatly to be praised. In other words, His praise is to, at least in aspiration, to be in some way accord with who He is. He's great. His praise ought to be great. And it's the same with boasting. We should strive to boast in accord with who God really is. Now we can't. You're not going to get it. You're not going to max this out. You, you will not win here other than the striving is winning. But we should always be seeking to expand our boasting in the Lord. How do you do that? An ever-expanding knowledge of who He is. The more you know, the more you understand, the more you can boast. But that leads to the third prerequisite, and that is an experiential appreciation for God. In addition to experiencing salvation and aiming for an ever-expanding knowledge of God, we have to aim for a true, sincere, experiential appreciation for who God is. We go back to boasting. What is boasting? It's, it's to express delight in, an appreciation for all of the noteworthy qualities of the Lord. Well, can we sincerely boast in the Lord if we don't really appreciate Him? We just affirm a truth. Oh yeah, God is God is yeah, God is immutable. It doesn't change. Well, are you really gonna boast in the way that the Bible commands us to boast if it's just an assertion of fact? Or or do you understand that it will come as you experientially appreciate it? That it is it is good and wonderful and and praiseworthy that he does not change. You'll boast in that, and that's what we have to seek after. Aim for a true experiential appreciation for God. And this requires the labor. This is where the hard work comes in. Because I can preach till I'm blue and you not come to an experiential appreciation for what I'm saying. You have to do the work in your mind and in your heart. Search to see all of the boastworthy goodnesses in God. And then sit and meditate upon them. You say, I don't have time. You don't have time for anything else in the world if you don't have time for this. And nothing else that you do in the world is going to be profitable or useful if you don't have time for this. To sit and let your heart simmer on the truths of who God is until you really believe that they are worth boasting in. You get to that point where you, you say, this is praiseworthy and i got to boast. An experiential appreciation... And the fruit of these three prerequisites, a heart transformed, a mind informed, ever increasing, and a soul that's swallowed up in sincere admiration for God will automatically, almost involuntarily at many times, it will result in boasting. You're going to boast. If you've been born again, you're always growing in your knowledge of God, you, you are really experiencing appreciation for who He is, listen, it's going to come out. It, you are going to boast. 
So we have formative prerequisites for boasting in the Lord. Number two, I want to give you some effective conduits for boasting in the Lord. Effective conduits for boasting in the Lord. And here what I want to do is sort of fill out the idea of boasting with some other biblical words and phrases and ideas that would they, they all fall under this category. Boasting is, is like the top of a category, and there are many other words and things that, that the Bible describes that we would say, that's all, in a way, boasting. It all goes together. I want to show you some of that. And hopefully when, when we get through with this point, you'll see that you can pretty much boast in the Lord in every single situation of your life. There, you can't get out of this. So, again, what is boasting? It is to show off verbally. To express excessive pride in the Lord. To call attention to the good qualities of the Lord. To make a display of the worth or actions of the Lord. To laud the merits of the Lord. To commend the Lord. To express delight in and appreciation for all of the noteworthy qualities in the Lord. To praise the Lord is to boast in the Lord. It's to laud Him. It is to tell of His praiseworthy traits, either to Him or to others. You're praising the Lord. You're boasting in Him. To, you might see this phrase, to glory in the Lord is to boast in the Lord. Same thing. It's to find your own pleasure in the greatness of God. It's to boast in Him. Or we, we, we say these things, we give glory to God or glorify God. Those are just other ways of saying Boast in the Lord. Point out or draw attention to God's perfections. Glorify Him. To exalt in the Lord or rejoice in the Lord is to boast in the Lord. To magnify the Lord or we see lift up the name of the Lord. That's just to boast in the Lord. Same thing. Or you'll see very often in Scripture phrases like bless the Lord as a command or as an indicative. I will bless the Lord. That's just boasting in the Lord. It's speaking highly and well of God. 1 Chronicles 16.10 Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. That word glory means to praise, to admire, to eulogize, to speak well of the Lord. It's boasting in the Lord. Psalm 32.11 Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright of heart. That phrase, shout for joy, in, the, in the, the Greek Old Testament is the same word for boasting here. Boast in the Lord. Shout for joy in the Lord. Psalm 149.5 is the same. Let the godly exult in glory. To exult, to glory, is to boast in the Lord. These are all the same thing. To praise, to laud, to glory in, to glorify, to give glory to, to exalt in, to rejoice, to magnify, to lift up the name of the Lord, all of that falls under the category of boasting in the Lord. Now, if that's the case, I think it is, if boasting in the Lord really does have such a broad application, so, so I mean, we've, there are not many places in Scripture where you're not going to find that type of language. If it's really that broad, then what are some ways that we might boast in the Lord? We've already deduced from the exposition, Christians are characterized by boasting in the Lord. So hopefully you're thinking, okay, you got me. I have to boast. It's a command. I must do it. How can I do it today? 
Some of you have already boasted in the Lord, and maybe you didn't notice that you were doing it. How can I do it tomorrow? How can I do it this week? Let me give you briefly seven ways or conduits, avenues by which you might boast in the Lord today, tomorrow, or this coming week. The first one is evangelism. Evangelism. To share the gospel, you have to boast in the Lord. You have to express something of some praiseworthy trait of God. You cannot proclaim the biblical gospel without proclaiming the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God, or even the love and mercy of God as it's displayed in Christ's death and resurrection for our sins. You can't share the biblical gospel without boasting in the Lord. So when you do that, what are you doing? You're boasting. And people ought to see that in our evangelism. Are you trying to, are you trying to convert me? Yeah, I actually I am. But I'm trying to do it by means of boasting. I want you to see that I'm so thrilled about what I'm saying that you say, i got to have some of that. Evangelism is a way to boast in the Lord. The second one is just discipleship in general. Discipleship. In any kind of ongoing discipleship relationship you might have, where you're trying to lead others in a path of righteousness, you're going to be required to boast in the Lord at some point. Because discipleship is ultimately pointing people to God in the person and work of Christ and showing them how to follow Him. It's just pointing to Him. Saying, go Him. Follow Him. Walk in His paths. Do what He says. Follow Him. That's, that's discipleship. And that can't happen unless you're calling attention to the boastworthy attributes of Christ. When Peter was discipling the saints to which he wrote, and he was trying to teach them, that it is a gracious thing when one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He was trying to help them to understand that when you do good and suffer for it and, and you endure, that's a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now what did he use to bolster up that in their minds? He said, look to Christ. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. Not, not suffering in a way of atonement. Suffering for doing good. He endured it. He called attention to that praiseworthiness of Christ. He told him, he said, listen, this Christ that I'm telling you to follow, that I'm pointing you to, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. So you don't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. So you don't threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So when you are suffering, Peter said, look at Christ and you follow his pattern." He's boasting in Christ. He's calling attention to or lauding these praiseworthy character traits that were in Christ. A human being who suffered and was threatened and yet he did not revile or, or threaten back. He did not revile. He just entrusted himself to the Lord. The Christian says that is praiseworthy. I wish I was more like that. Discipleship is a way to boast in the Lord. And anytime you're teaching all things... Whatsoever I have commanded, which is a part of discipleship. Anytime you're teaching those things, you're, you're going to be required to boast in God. Christ boasted in His God whenever He was teaching in His ministry. The apostles boasted in God as they discipled others. So that will be a way that you can boast in the Lord. The third one is just general conversations. In a general conversation, you can boast in the Lord. What kind of things do we talk about in general conversations? Just co-workers, friends, even, even spouses. Think about it. I, I bet it all falls into one of these categories. This is what we talk about. Work, family, 
stuff we're doing around our house, or happenings in the world, current events. In all of those kinds of conversations, if one of those things comes up, you can boast in the Lord. You're having a conversation about work. You can say, I'm just thankful that the Lord has provided me with work to do and the mind and the ability to do it. That's boasting in the Lord. Somebody says, man, you, did a, you knocked it out of the park. You did a great job. That's killer. You have the opportunity in that instant to say, God, God gave me this. God has gifted me with a mind. I can take no credit for it. You can boast in the Lord. If the conversation is about family, you can just interject. Well, yeah, God has been so good and so kind in blessing me with a family, with children or a spouse. I tell people often, He's given me a wife that can put up with me and deal with me. God did that. I didn't do that. I wasn't hunting. God did that. And you've boasted in the Lord. Say you're talking about stuff that you're doing or more often fixing at home and around your house. You can say, well, the Lord has been kind to provide for me and my family far more than we deserve. He's given it. I can't complain. Why? Well, such and such is broke. Such and such is tore up. Well, I can't complain. It could be far worse. I'm thankful to have something to tear up. I'm thankful to have tools to work on it with. You can boast in the Lord. You're talking about the current events and happenings in the world. That seems like that's all we ever talk about anymore. So the conversation is going to come up. It's going to be there, right? Did you see, did you see the, the news? Did you see the thing? Did you hear what's happening? Okay. It's just good to know that we have a God who has declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done. And that He's working all of this for the good of His people. And never once has He ever, ever not made perfect provision for His people in every circumstance, in every nation, under every regime that there has ever been. God has always cared for His people. You can boast in the Lord. In these ways, what you've done is you have called attention to the good qualities of God. You've expressed delight in and appreciation for some noteworthy quality in the Lord. Or you can just let the conversation keep rolling. But now that you've heard, I guarantee you this week it's going to be on your conscience. I ought to speak. I ought to say it. I ought to say it. And you're going to clam up. You're probably going to sin. You're going to fail. That's, God is a God of grace. You can boast in Him. You can, you can, you can run to Him. But it's going to be there. General conversations. Singing is a way that we boast in the Lord. When we sing, especially in corporate worship, we are essentially always boasting in the Lord with our, with our songs. We're singing His praises and extolling His character and His works. We're teaching and admonishing others in the ways of God and we are implying these ways are good. That these ways are so good that I just sing about them. That's, that's a, a joyful expression. If someone gets to the point of singing, that, that, that's, that their boasts have changed. Something in their heart has changed and they see something boastworthy. All of our singing could be summed up in the opening words of Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. We sing. And, and what do we do? If that characterizes our singing, what have we done? We have lauded, we have commended the steadfast love of the Lord. We've expressed our delight in and our appreciation for God's faithfulness. I hope that you're thinking when you're singing. I'm boasting in the Lord. I hope everybody hears me boasting in the Lord. Maybe you don't hope everybody hears you, but you're boasting. 
Family worship is a time to boast in the Lord. This is especially important for parents and, and fathers in particular as you lead family worship. While our children need morals, they do not need morality as the end goal of our lesson. Our children ought to hear the narratives, but captivating storylines never saved a single soul. They need to hear, again, the gospel. And they need to hear their parents boasting in the Lord. They need to hear us speaking highly of the goodness and kindness and loving heart of God. They need to see and hear parents who are really captivated with who this God is. Not just, well, they, we always come together and they read from the Bible and they tell us to do things. And they tell us how we ought to live and then they, they close and they make us go to bed. Now, they ought to walk away saying, if anything, my parents love that God. They love that Christ they keep talking about. They need to know that we actually see many praiseworthy things in God. That this is not just, this is not just Sunday fluff. They need to know my parents, they love the Lord. They, they see some things in Him that maybe I don't even see it. I don't even understand it. Mine will ask me about uh, church services or family worship. Is it going to be long? Yeah, it's probably going to be long. Well, I don't, I don't like long. And I'll say, well, the, the Lord loves the worship of His people. The Lord loves it when we come to church. Do you, do you love the Lord? Yeah. Well, then you probably ought to love His worship. Well, I don't, I don't not like it. You know, they'll begin to try to explain themselves out of it. But I want them to know, is this about the Lord? We don't just, I don't think any of us are just getting, getting our kicks from sitting on these pews for a, a little bit. It's because we actually love the Lord. And our children need to see that. God and His Christ need to be set forth as the main attraction all the time. We give them no hope at all if, we, if our lesson is consistently, well, this is how we do things around here. But we don't boast often in the God of mercy who is there when we sin in what we do around here. And we fail. We've got to let them know there's a God who will forgive you of your sins when you disobey. Psalm 145.4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another. Another generation. And shall declare your mighty acts. That's boasting in the Lord to the next generation. Psalm 118 verses 15 and 16 Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. That's the, the individual dwellings of the people of God. Family worship ought to be singing. If your house is, you would say, this is a house of the righteous, the godly, then there ought to be songs, glad songs of salvation coming out of that house. And what was their song in this psalm? The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Just walk around chanting that in your home. That's the song of the righteous. And these echo from our, our tents, our homes, and it's, we're just boasting. Our houses become little, little places of, full of, of the boasting in the Lord. Number six, prayer. We boast in the Lord in our prayers. Following the pattern given to us by the Lord, our prayers will be full of boasting. When we pray... Father, you have the opportunity to boast in the fatherly love and kindness and compassion of God. You can boast in Him in that way. When we say, hallowed be your name, in whatever form that might come out, I'm not giving this as a form necessarily, but in whatever way, we have the opportunity every time we pray to boast in the holy separateness of God. To boast in the fact 
that He's not like us. Whenever we pray, Your kingdom come, we have the opportunity to boast in the goodness and desirability of His kingdom and His rule. When we pray, give us each day our daily bread, we have the opportunity to boast in His gracious provision. How often do we find that we've already eaten by the time we have the opportunity to pray, give us this day our daily bread? You boast in Him. God, you already gave it. I didn't even ask for it yet. You gave it. When we pray, forgive us of our sins, we have the opportunity to boast in His faithfulness and His justness to forgive us of our sins through Christ. When we pray, we, as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us, well, that's not an occasion to boast in us. Say, I'm doing a pretty good job, aren't I? Forgiving everyone. No, we say, if I've forgiven anyone, Lord, it's because your grace was at work in me. Because naturally, I don't want to forgive anybody. When we pray, lead us not into temptation. We have the opportunity to boast in our confidence in God, or boast in God, because our confidence is Him, that He will protect us from the dangers that are presented to our souls. And this, this pattern litters the prayers of the Bible. Ezra prayed, O Lord, the God of Israel, You are just. That's boasting in the Lord. Nehemiah prayed, You are the Lord, You alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the sea and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. That's boasting in the Lord. Daniel prayed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. That's boasting in the Lord. And you and I have the same opportunity and the same pattern and the same God in whom to boast that all of these men have had. Prayer is an opportunity to boast in the Lord. And then the seventh one I'm calling personal attestation or personal private attestation. Because there's even a sense in which we boast in the Lord or can boast in the Lord in the privacy of our own souls. Psalm 103, 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. He's talking to Himself. Psalm 104, 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, You are very great. Mary did this. She said, My soul magnifies the Lord. She was boasting inwardly before the words came out. In these cases, the boasting is the internal groaning of a soul Loving the Lord, that then comes out in verbal praise. And that really is the root of all true boasting. It starts in the stirring of the soul in love and adoration for God. We boast inwardly, privately almost. And then it comes out, and very often in our own private prayers and things like that, there will be a a welling up of a boast in us. And we will just say, bless the Lord all my soul. So, Evangelism, discipleship, conversation, singing, family worship, prayer, private attestation. Every area of life provides us with an effective conduit, a vehicle, a way to boast in the Lord. We have no excuse. This is the easiest of the commands. Here's the command. It should flow out of us almost naturally. And you can do it every time, in any circumstance, anywhere you are. Boast in the Lord. Thirdly and lastly... I'll give some directive precepts for boasting in the Lord. This will be simple, straightforward, just guidelines. Pointed. I, I, really, I want it to stick in your conscience. You, I don't want you to be able to get away from it. Begin with 
and root all boasting in who God is. In other words, boast in who God is as God. Let that be your foundation. Don't don't begin with all His benefits. That'll come. But don't get to the benefits apart from just His personal perfections. Boast in God as God. And this is why a study of the attributes of God is helpful because oftentimes we're just sort of ignorant about who God is. And even as we learn the truths about God's nature are so transcendent and incomprehensible that a lot of times we close up on a Sunday night and we say, boy, that sounds real good. Let's go eat. How often would we say our, our hearts burned within us as we learned about God? Just God. Without this as our starting place, we can digress into boasting in His gifts rather than Him. So begin with boasting in God as God, but then from there move to boasting in what God has done. And I'm not saying that this is a structured pattern every time. In general conversation, you say, well, I would like to begin by boasting in the Lord first, His immutability. But also, as we've been speaking about the common affairs of general society, I'd also like to add my boast in the fact that God has been immutable in all of these. You don't have to do it like that. It's more of an ideological foundation. God as God, leading to boasting in who He is and what He's done in all of His works. And having laid that groundwork of who God is, then boast in all that He's done. Boast in His works of creation. Not simply that they exist, but in the God who made them. Not simply that was a beautiful sunrise, but look what God did when He made the sun to rise. Boast in His works of providence. Not merely that time marches on. Everybody knows that. Boast in the God who governs all of the affairs of His creation. Boast in the God who works all things according to the counsel of His will. It's God who did it. Was it, was it an awful thing? Well, that happened in the providence of God. What is it, was it a wonderful thing? That happened in the providence of God. Boast in the Lord and His works. Boast in His works of salvation. Boast in the gospel. Boast in God that He would send the gospel to the nations, the Gentiles, it's us. Boast in effectual calling. Boast in God that though it is true, many are called and few are chosen and called to life, that you would be one of those, that God called you from death to life. Boast in God. Boast in regenerating grace, that God took out your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. Boast in the imputation of Christ's righteousness, that God laid that righteousness upon you and then declared you righteous after He had done so. Boast in sanctifying grace, that God has not left you alone, that God is the one carrying you along. And if there is any advancement in grace, it's because of Him. Boast in the hope that you have now, that God has laid up an inheritance for you in eternity. God has stored up something for me. God will make sure that I get there. Boast in Him in every aspect of salvation. In all of these things, we find a place to express our appreciation and delight in God for what He's done. That's why studying them is important. Why would we take the time to consider righteousness, sanctification, and redemption? So that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You could fly through that stuff and that's fine. Or you can settle down on it. What's the, what's the end goal? So that I can really understand the, the inner workings of, of the Spirit in salvation. No, you still don't understand, and I don't either. 
but so that you can boast in Him, boast in what He's done. As we learn, we expand our capacity for boasting in the Lord, in His works. We ought to also boast in God's Word. Boast in the fact that God's Word has been given, that God spoke. Boast in God's Word that He has kept it for us, that He's made it available to us in our language. Boast in the fact that God has made a way that the people of God can gather and hear the Word of God read and opened up and explained in a setting that is, at least for us right now, fairly comfortable. We can, we can learn in ease. Psalm 119 is essentially 176 verses of boasting in God's Word. And we see statements like, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. He's not saying, my goodness, the law is long. No, he's saying, it's so expansive, it just keeps going and going and going. Oh, how I love your law. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. I have found more understanding than all my teachers. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Boast in the Word of God. Do your children know that you legitimately love to open up and read God's Word? Or do they see you're reading your books and they're reading their books and when it comes time to read them, read to them, you just read them more of their books? Boast in the Word of God. Boast in every circumstance of life. We should say with Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. We should boast in the morning. A lot of people decry the morning. They hate the morning. I'm not a morning person. They wake up growling. I think we should boast in the morning. Be, be happy that a morning has come. Psalm 108 Verses 1 and 2, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I'm going to get up and start boasting so that it's almost like my boasting made the sun come up. That's what it says. And we should boast in the evening. Psalm 113.3, From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Boast when you wake up. Boast when you go to bed. Boast all day. Boast in the springtime when the Lord sends rain. Psalm 147, 7 and 8. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. We oftentimes look at a cloudy sky and we, we, we harumph. <laughs> clouds. That's life. God sending rain. Boast in the Lord. He's taking care of this planet. The the broad, the super majority of which hates him. And he's taking care of it all the time. Boast in the summer and the fall as we gather in our harvest. We should boast in good times. When David was delivered from all of his enemies. In Psalm 18, 49, he says, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. It was a good time. He had been delivered. So he boasted in the Lord. But we ought to also boast in the bad times. As David, when he's fleeing from his own son, in Psalm 3.8, he said, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. He boasted in the good times and in the bad times. In conclusion, there's really no time, place, or circumstance in which the Christian cannot find some reason to boast in the Lord. This might be the easiest of all of the commands of God, 
Because the object of our boasting is so laudable in every single thing that He's done. Everything. His works. His laudable, praiseworthy, majestic, lovely works permeate every single part of our lives. You can't open your eyes without seeing it. You can't close your eyes without seeing it. And He commands, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. May it be true of us what is said in Psalm 44, 8, and I'll close with this. In God, maybe this will be our, our prayer on our deathbed. In God, we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. Let's pray.